I would just say make sure that you're embracing the alumni and the support that they want to provide and, and making sure that they feel welcome at the table. They've likely been through whatever you're experiencing, whether it's on a personal level or on a chapter level while they were an ad undergraduate or in their professional life. You're listening to the Teak Nation podcast with Donnie Aldrich, where we hope to educate, inspire, and entertain you with tips and lessons from members of our fraternity. We hope you enjoy our podcast. Welcome in for another episode of the Teak Nation podcast. My name is Donnie Aldrich, Chief Executive Officer of TalkHap Epsilon. We have a tremendous guest for you for this episode of the podcast. This person who is our guest is the current Grand Chrysophilus of TalkHap Epsilon, a former Collegiate Advisory Committee chairman, and someone who rolled up his sleeves and has done the hard work of helping to rebuild a chapter. And with that, I'd like to welcome in Frater Michael Beals. Thanks, Donnie. I'm happy to be here. For those of you joining us, we typically have various locations where we're recording the podcast and have a phenomenal staff team that travels with us to make sure we do this at the highest of quality, but also are able to get one-on-one face-to-face with our guests. And so we are joining you from New Hampshire, the Grand Council Retreat here in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and excited about this weekend. We're going to have a lot of great conversations, not just about the current year, but the future and where T can go. And excited that you're here to be a part of that, Michael, and we're going to have the entire council in the next few days. Should be a lot of fun. I want to start on your journey. You know, this episode of the podcast really is about excellence. And you come from the Epsilon chapter at Iowa State, as I mentioned, and that is a chapter that's won many top teak awards. Additionally, you're part of a group that has phenomenal alumni engagement. And that is one of those keys to the kingdom that all of our members listening, I would say a majority, 90% of our members listening would love to like, oh, we've got someone who has phenomenal alumni engagement. Like, let's let's get in front of that guy and listen to everything he has to say. And that's why we wanted to have you as a guest on the podcast is to download your brain to the rest of fraternity on a successful chapter, as well as engaging those alumni, giving them a great experience and living the fraternity for life every single day. So I want to thank you once again for joining us. Let's talk about your your journey in the fraternity and where it started, which obviously is in Ames, Iowa. What was that experience like joining the Epsilon chapter? Yeah, and, and my Teak journey started before enrolling at Iowa State. I'm a proud legacy. My uncle, dad, and cousin have all been Epsilon Teaks. And so it's fair to say that I was introduced to Teak through them and events that I went to as a, a young child, whether it be Iowa State football games or the annual Super Bowl parties with all my dad's fraternity buddies. And I recognized at an early age that Teak was what brought all of them together. And so I, I knew that I wanted to go to Iowa State and that I wanted to have a similar Teak experience that that he did. So in being a legacy member, because that's a very unique experience, I can only imagine. Was there pressure to be a member of the fraternity? You were at all these events. And as you said, first first choice you had to make was to go to Iowa State. Uh, you're married to, uh, to a Hawkeye. beautiful wife who's a Hawkeye, yeah. right? So you could yeah. have made that choice. Uh, but you decided to, to go to Iowa State. Was there pressure in joining Teak? Was it something that was dictated to you of, great, you're going to Iowa State. You're, you are going to be a Teak. What was the messages that your father was giving you as an 18-year-old starting your college career? 
Yeah, he was extremely supportive and there definitely was no pressure from a joining perspective. I know you know this, but many don't, that Epsilon fell on some pretty significant hard times in the late 90s, early thousands that led to our alumni basically flushing the membership. We went from 110 to four overnight and started the rebuilding process. And so my dad recognized that, you know, four years post them removing a lot of the members, it would still very much be in a rebuilding phase. It wouldn't be the top teak experience that he had as an undergraduate. And so he he actually encouraged me to look at other fraternities. He visited them with me when we went up for orientation. And ultimately, I still recognize that he was dedicated to it and he had a great experience. And I grew up wanting to emulate and, and copy him as much as possible. And joining Teak provided one more thing for us to have in common. And so I took it upon myself to really make him and all the other alumni that I knew proud of their of their group again. So I put a lot of pressure on myself, but was was not ever given pressure from my dad to join. Well, I think you've made him proud in spades through what you've accomplished. Your dad, although you are part of the same chapter, you did have vastly different experiences in terms of the success that your dad came from, uh, his, his, his chapter winning top Teak awards during his tenure. You came in 30 or so members in the process of revitalization, in the yeah. process of rebuilding. What were some of the highlights for those, those four years in, in Ames, Iowa? Yeah, you mentioned having a different experience. It, it was funny going through the recruitment process and walking into Elmer Kayser Library, who is E1, and uh, who was uh, the Kayser family. There was one that was a past Grand Prix and I. He's the only Epsilon member to be a past Grand Prix and I. So the library is named after him, but they have all the top Teak awards on the wall. And during the recruitment process, they even talked about how we have the record number of top Teak awards. And you look up there and you see the last ones from the early 90s. And I'm sitting on campus in 2007 being like, you're, you're still living in the past. Right. And so, yes, definitely had a different experience from, from that regard. But we, we kept the, uh, the idea of putting another Top Teak Award on that wall at the center of everything that we did. And so that's what we worked towards. I fell short. But you mentioned that we've had a lot of success over the last several years. We just got our 24th Top Teak Award, and it's actually our eighth in a row at Conclave in Orlando. And so it, it really was building it's a, that. It's a, that's an amazing number. Just it, to oh. pause and put a bookmark. That, that is an amazing 24 Top Teak Awards, eight in a row. Eight in a row. And I, that's what I'm most proud of. Some of the guys like to give me a hard time because we've won one every single year since I left. But they recognize, and so do, you know, so do my pledge brothers that put a lot of effort and, and those that came before me after rebuilding the chapter that we really helped build that foundation in that springboard yeah. for them to, to really take it to the next level. And a lot of kudos goes to them. You set the table that they got to eat at and that's, that's great that they get to enjoy the meal. And obviously they've got to keep, if you, you follow this metaphor, they've got to keep preparing the meal by, by doing the work year in and year out. But you're the ones that, that put in the hard work to get them in that position. And, I think you've got to take a lot of pride in in that accomplishment. Definitely do. And, you know, you mentioned that they've got to keep it going. I think that's the challenge that I at least feel is on my shoulders of how to continue to apply that pressure. We always put putting another top Teak award on the wall as the motivation for everything that we did. Whereas we've now gone through eight classes of new members that have never not won a top Teak award. And so we've got to 
come up with new and creative ways to create that sense of competition or that desire to continue to improve and do better. And honestly, the way that headquarters structures and puts out the KRAs is one of those ways that we can do that and making sure that we're continuing to to raise the bar and making sure that we're not getting stagnant in the things that we do. Well, and part of that mindset is why we wanted to have you as our guest, because your expertise covers two areas that whether it be our chapters, whether it be our alumni, we consistently are getting questions. Can you give us advice? Can you give us lessons, tips? And that is, number one, how do we create an excellent culture? How do we create an excellent chapter? How do we create an award-winning group? And you guys obviously have done that now consistently. Secondarily, how do we get our alumni engaged? And how do we do that in a way that they want to come around and be part of the group, or maybe they just want to contribute financially, or maybe they just have time where they can come and teach a leadership lesson once a year. You all have figured out the the right recipe in how to get those folks engaged. And that's why I'm really jazzed up about the message that our folks can take, our members can take, our listeners can take, uh, even if it's a parent, can take from this podcast and how you go about your business. As you shared, Epsilon has won numerous Top Teak Awards, 24 Top Teak Awards. And this, this let's look and break it down to this, this last eight in a row. What are habits traits, things that the chapter consistently does that you think has played a role in this sustained success? So one thing that certainly sets us apart from a lot of other chapters, and I have to give our alumni group a lot of credit for making this tough decision in the early 2000s, was they made the decision to make our facility a a dry facility and alcohol and tobacco free facility. We have 60 members that live in the chapter house. That was a tough decision to make. I believe we are still the only Teak chapter that made that decision voluntarily that wasn't mandated via the university or some sort of sanction that was put on them. And by the time I had joined, we honestly had continued to petition the alumni to change that. And we had used that as our reason for why we couldn't ever surpass the 50 member mark. And once we actually embraced it as a new opportunity to target a different type of recruit, not the same recruit that all the other chapters were going after, we realized that if you removed alcohol from the center of everything that we were doing, you removed it from the facility that you lived in, you could focus on a lot of other things. And I have to give the alumni a lot of credit for making that decision, just like I'm very proud of the Grand Council making the decision to remove hard alcohol from all the facilities this past biennium. I think the other place that we've really focused on is increasing our scholastics and emphasis on education since we are at college after all. When I joined the chapter, I know that the GPA was around 2.6. This last year, we completed uh, the year with an average chapter GPA of 3.1. A lot of that is driven by the type of men that we're recruiting. We're also doing a better job at advertising the scholarships that we have to offer. Again, that's something that is unique to Epsilon that not every chapter has, and I recognize that, but it's an extremely powerful tool that we're able to use in recruitment, and that's our scholarship endowment. We give $50,000 a year to our members and and scholarships, and so if you use that in recruitment, you're going to get some top scholars that are looking to be able to take advantage of, of those types of opportunities. The other piece that we've really excelled is in increased 
philanthropic dollars raised in service hours. I know on the chapter assessment from my first year, we reported, I believe, $750 raised in about 450 service hours compared to you fast forward to this year. I know they raised over $50,000 to St. Jude alone. And so you think about how you hear about fraternity men in the news. You never hear about a single chapter of Teak in Ames, Iowa, raising $50,000 for St. Jude. And I, I think that just speaks to the quality of men that we're recruiting and really what principles and character our members now have. You talked about the $50,000 in scholarships. What was the timeline to get from zero? I'm guessing at some point it started at zero to $50,000 because you say that number and I'm sure a lot of folks instantly can start to say, well, we can't, can't do that. We can't do that. Yeah. So, all right, we'll check off that box and move into a different road. What was the process like of ramping that up to 50000 You know, I don't know the full history, so that's a, that's a shame on me for not knowing that. But I do know we've had a scholarship endowment for a very long time. I, what was I the scholarship early, endowment when, when you were a student? They awarded $25,000 in okay. scholarships then. And we just launched at our 100th anniversary four years ago, a Securing Epsilon Legacy campaign, which a part of that was to grow our pre-existing $800,000 endowment for scholarships to 1.8. So raise an additional million uh, to support that. I, I think the, the ultimate goal, the pinnacle for us would be that if you join Teak and you live in the chapter facility, you don't pay for school. And I, I think that's, that's amazing. I just think that's a game changer at that point, right? You're right. getting the top of the top caliber men to join a fraternity. And I think it's a tool that it's a pipe dream, but I think it's one that we'll be able to reach eventually. Well, what I love in what you have shared so far that I would love for our groups to take back, that is being very targeted in recruitment. You know what type of people you want. Too many times our groups simply roll out, hey, we're going to have some social events. Hey, we're going to have some recruitment events and talk to a few people. Then we'll all get together and we'll find out who Michael talked to and who Alex talked to and who Jim talked to and who and who Bill talked to. And then we'll figure it out and who we should bid and who we shouldn't bid versus I like to give the analogy of whether it's college football or college basketball. Almost everyone understands college sports, especially high level college sports. They spend all year targeting who are, who are the people in many times five six years targeting people who are in eighth grade ninth grade 10th grade right their their high school career and we want this person and investing a lot of resources and a lot of time our chapter should be doing the same and knowing here is here are the type of people we we want and if we get these people we know that's going to turn into x type of member yeah no definitely and you know, I, we're not starting with eighth and ninth graders, but we are starting with high school seniors and we target them pretty early on. I have to give a shout out to Roger Underwood. He is uh, he was one of my dad's pledge brothers, lifelong teak. He embodies everything that is good about being a fraternity man, lived in Ames, started his business in Ames his whole life. He self dubs himself our chapter historian. And that is what he is. He knows every living alumni, I swear, and knows about their family and their kids and when they're about ready to come to Iowa State. And he's always sending our recruitment chairman names. And it's that type of interaction that that really helps when when you can start in the spring with a list of 10, 12, you know, 20 guys that you know that are legacies. So you already have a leg up on on the competition, but you can start reaching out to them early. 
not only is it a good recruitment tool for Iowa State and helping encourage them to pick Iowa State as the school that they choose, Teak is already at the forefront of what they're thinking before other groups even have them on their radar. The other piece that's unique to us is we have two members live in Ames all summer long, and our alumni pay them to be recruitment chairman, and they are there to interact with students that are on campus to go through orientations, to give chapter tours if, if they happen to be walking by and want to see the facility. And that really bodes well for us. We get a lot of our members during that summer recru- informal recruitment period. But it's also another springboard for when fall recruitment kicks off the second week of school. They're already familiar with Teak. They've already interacted with some of the members that live there and might have taken summer classes and, and whatnot. But it really is that recruiting all year round and not just the specific formal recruitment window that you mentioned. If I'm someone listening and I don't have access to some of the tools that you all have, let's break it down to define an Epsilon member and some of the traits they have. Because these tools that you have are amazing and you've worked really hard to create those tools and continue to be innovative to create new tools, correct? So that yeah, definitely. You, so that you can get continue to get this high caliber person and not say, well, the scholarship at 25,000, right? When you were a, a student member, now we've moved that to 50. We've added in all these other aspects to make sure we're getting the best. Simply, what are some of the, what are some of the traits of these people that it doesn't matter if I have the tools or not, I should be seeking out? You know, you and I both grew up and live in the Midwest, and so we can be a little bit biased about those of us that are are from the Midwest. But I think inherently for a rural city college or university like Iowa State that's in the middle of farm country, as we call it, flyover state for most people that are listening here, I think we're inherently loyal, right? And so we're often, you mentioned my wife going to, to Iowa and the Iowa Hawkeyes. They're kind of the, we're called the Hawkeye State and they often call us little brother and that, that bugs us, but it binds us together. And so I think inherently the type of people that go to Iowa State are extremely loyal and that, that transitions really well into being loyal to doing what they need to for Teak. When you mentioned some of the traits of our membership, for one, is people that are willing to find tools that they do have access to to be able to go and find additional men to join the fraternity. I mean, people I who want to hustle. Yes, people that want to hustle and that are hardworking and are able to dive in and and get the job done without it being in a self-serving way. It's people that care about the mission of Teak that want to share that mission with others and that are extremely loyal to the organization and at the end of the day are, are just looking to share the great thing that's Teak with more members. What you touched on there is great. And that is the the challenge that we all have as initiated members is to look out at folks that are not part of Teak and see them living the mission already of the fraternity and say, hey, yep. you're already doing all the things we're doing over here. You have got to be part of this because if you're doing this on your own, imagine if we put you in this laboratory and you're around all of us that are living this day in and day out and are committed to this and want to see it grow and evolve. So I, I think that's that's phenomenal advice. Can you touch upon educational programming? It, it is something that we believe as an organization is vital, that whether it's for your personal growth or for the chapter growth, we've always got to continue to be innovative. We've always got to be continuing to challenge and push ourselves and 
and polish ourselves. How have educational programs, either locally or at the international level, how's that impacted Epsilon Chapter? Quite frankly, simply it's it's been the it's been the catalyst for our rise back to the top. I have to give a lot of credit to both John Turk and Dave Overman. They went to Teak Leadership Academy the summer before I joined. And that was the first real interaction that our undergraduate members had had with the international fraternity. And they came back and they shared the immense amount of knowledge that they learned at Teak Leadership Academy. And it was a thing that I ultimately knew that I needed to go to. And so myself and another men in my pledge class decided to go and apply the next year. And we were fortunate enough to be the one class that went to Pennsylvania. It was a class of 60. And that changed my life. And it also led to me bringing back a lot of tools that I was able to use and implement in, in helping Epsilon grow. I believe we've had 16 men attend Leadership Academy after that. And that doesn't include the hundreds that have attended RLCs and conclaves. But prior to those two individuals really taking that plunge and going to our programs, I know that Epsilon Chapter wouldn't be where it is today without them making that decision. On a different note, you know, I've been a part of a couple of very large corporations where they are oftentimes talking about their development programs of their people and they put us through some pretty robust development programs and it's safe to say that teeks programs rival those and it's something that undergraduates that haven't experienced it yet need to make sure that they do because what a better time to really foster your personal development than in your collegiate years because it's going to be expected of you the rest of your life why not start now and take advantage and, and be able to utilize those tools and practice those tools in a safe environment like a teak house? If we touch briefly upon Leadership Academy or, or RLCs, can you, you said the, the word life-changing, which anytime folks hear that, I think the question becomes, why? Why is it life-changing? How is it life-changing? What were aspects of Leadership Academy during your tenure and, and your experience, but also things that you've seen still occurring now what are some of those cornerstones that happened through that experience? As you look back on it, what are two or three things you remember from that experience that were game changers or life changing for you? I think a big thing for me was that fraternity, at least what I thought as a freshman going to be sophomore, was all about tradition. And whether those were real traditions or traditions that some senior had decided to dub a tradition that he wanted to continue on past him graduating and going to Teak Leadership Academy and introducing me to 58 other men from different chapters and, and hearing their stories and giving me the confidence to be able to go back and and really lead. Because to that point, it was quite a regimen. You knew that you were going to be maybe maybe a chairman or potentially you might make it up into Graham as a as a sophomore. And then you were going to be if, if you really wanted to move up, you could be Hegemon and, and Epi Preetness. But you had to be one of those positions before you could be Preetness. Right. And so there was this tradition that came with having to put in your time before you could really, I would say, make a difference. And I learned through Leadership Academy or develops a confidence in myself that I didn't have before to be able to go back and run as a sophomore for Preetness. And we already talked about uh, my pledge class being the largest that we had just had. I had just brought in a pledge class of 26 prior to that. So pretty quickly, you have the majority of the chapter and are able to win their hearts. And, right. and I think that was a really important decision for our group to, to ultimately almost pass the torch on to the younger class to be able to start to really move us forward. For 
you've consistently sent 16 men to RLCs as well. Mm-hmm. And, and I use that number 16 for leadership academy, but 16 men to RLCs as well. What's been the impact of the regional leadership conference? Because you have to apply to go to the, to the leadership academy. That, that application is March 15th of every year. And only 72 men are selected. Typically, we have about 200 to 300 folks who apply. Regional Leadership Conference is a, is a different animal. It's completely open, and anyone who wants to attend can register. What's the value in that experience? And, and, and compare that to the Leadership Academy experience. Yeah, the Leadership Academy experience, I think, is the pinnacle educational programming that Teak has to offer. It's very much focused on you as an individual and learning more about yourself and uh, helping you develop tools to be able to take back and ultimately leverage not only in your your chapter, but in your life. Regional leadership conferences tackle a lot of those same things, but it has a brotherhood element to it because you're going there with so many of your other same chapter members, right? And so you're, you're doing a road trip and you're like, for us, it's, it's in Chicago or it's in Indy. So you're driving six to eight hours to get there. It's a weekend getaway. There's normally four sessions going on in a Teak Institute at a time. So you are forced to divide and conquer or you should divide and conquer to make sure that you're getting all those same messages. And then there's time afterwards for you to to talk as a small group and and really decide how you're going to utilize the information that you're that you're learning that weekend. And I think it's a very powerful tool because it also gets what I would call the the real go getters out of the chapter and in a safe environment with a lot of the other go-getters and you get to bounce a lot of things off one another. And, and that's a really powerful thing as well. Yeah. The way that, the way that I see it is it really is a a brotherhood or a team experience at, at the RLC, especially if you send a group of people, leadership Academy is more of a solo experience. You're there with 71 other people. And there are times where a chapter might have two or three representatives at leadership Academy, but it really is about you and finding who you really are and your leadership style and your voice and getting you to question. Our, our role is to get you to question every decision you've made in the past and, and how you view the world. And if that is the view that you should have moving forward and does it align with your values, does it align with your actions, even more importantly. And so I appreciate you sharing a little bit about those experiences because I cannot trumpet enough how important I think it is for our, our every one of our groups to send people to our leadership events because I think they're done in a first class way. And the success rates that we see, the statistics that we see, we, we, we recently ran some statistics and we saw the average KRA score was over 44% higher of groups that attended, sent four or more people to an RLC versus groups that didn't. That's an astounding number that basically proves if you go to these events, if you invest, or if, or if alumni listening out there, if you invest in your men to go to these these educational events, there is a return on that investment. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to produce more successful people and it's going to produce more successful chapters. So thank you for sharing a little bit about that. I want to shift. I want to move toward the alumni end. Uh, and I want to start, I was lucky enough four years ago to attend the Epsilon 100th celebration anniversary celebration myself and now the current Grand Preetness at that time I think he, mm-hmm. he was uh, Jim Hickey I think he was I think Grand, Grand, Grand Mateus Chryso. or Chryso yeah he might have been Grand Chryso 
the two of us went out there and spent a lot of time with yourself and your father and the amazing man you spoke about, Roger Underwood, who is just uh, a tremendous human being. And it was, I will say, overwhelming to see the amount of people. It's 100th anniversary, so there's a lot of folks to choose from at, at a chapter that's initiated that many men. But... We have numerous chapters out there that have large amounts of alumni, and whenever they have events, they're trying to get 25 or 30 guys. This, Can you talk about the amount of people that attended the event? You were part of the, the planning committee. Uh, just paint a picture of what that weekend was like and the work that went into that weekend. Yeah, so for the 100th itself, we, we did a Friday night dinner, and I believe we had just over 500 frauders and guests in attendance and we utilize that to really showcase the history of teak and to showcase the history of epsilon chapter and to paint a picture for what we thought the next decade might look like so i already mentioned that we launched the securing epsilon's legacy campaign and that was really a chapter expansion and scholarship expansion type type deal but we used that as an opportunity to really connect with the frauders and make sure that they remembered the great stories and experiences that they had so that they could get re-engaged. Because you mentioned our alumni being this great asset that we have, and, and it certainly is. We've always had a small group of alumni that have been extremely engaged and that are that serve in official capacities on the House Corps Board or the Alumni Advisory They've been board. the heartbeat of it. Yes. And it's been very interesting to see how more and more alumni are coming back around when you when you experience success and when the chapter now looks a little bit more like it did when they yeah, were when every, they were in school. Everybody right? wants to be part of a winning team. That's right. And so uh, there's one one alumni in particular that I want to give a, a shout out to, and that's Bill Shaphorst. And and Bill, when I was a sophomore, he came knocking on the door of the Teak House during a, a Saturday morning before a football game. And he just invited us to come and join him at his tailgate. I think there were maybe a dozen of us that year, but he he told us he'd be back the next year. And sure enough, he came back the next year and we might have had 20 or 30 guys. Right. And then by the fourth year, we had reached a point where we could no longer fit behind an actual tailgate and we had to move to a tent. And Iowa State has a lot of tailgating tents right around the stadium. And so we moved to a tailgating tent. And so he really has taken this thing. And, and grown it into an annual event that we always know is is going to occur and it's going to occur around an Iowa State football game. So it's, you know, it's linking things that otherwise might get somebody to go, but making sure that they all choose the right game and they all come back to campus the same weekend. So we're, we're going to experience that again this upcoming year. But we really used what Bill had built to celebrate our 100th. Our 100th actually was in May. We pushed it to celebrate in September just so that we could do it on a, on a football game weekend. And, and when you guys joined us, we had to get an auxiliary tent. So we couldn't even fit in the, the tents that we normally did because we had over 700 people attend the tailgate that day. And it was really, really special uh, to see ranging from E333 to I'm E2051. And I know that we're over 2300 now. So, you know, you've got people that were on campus over a you know, 60 year period, uh, all sharing stories was, was really a neat experience. Yeah. That, that's what I would love quickly for our listeners to hear. And more importantly, feel is what was that like the feeling? I know the feeling for me, but it wasn't my chapter. <laughs> what was the feeling like for you seeing all the work you put in all the preparation, you and numerous others 
seeing that come to fruition, people laughing and smiling and having conversation. What was that? What was that? Forty-eight hours like? Yeah. It, well, it went by really fast for somebody like me. Like a was, wedding. Yes, it's like a wedding. Yes. Yes. They always tell you when you get gone. married, it's over. So enjoy every second of it. But it really was, really was special to see the amount of people that were, I'd say, hugging and shaking hands that were hadn't seen each other in probably twenty or thirty years, and they probably didn't even recognize themselves when when they were first coming up and talking to one another, and then they were remembering war stories and exchanging. Uh, some you know funny stories with uh, current undergraduates, and that was really neat to see as well. When you you know, had a hundred undergrads talking to guys that were members in the '60s and '70s, uh, it it just was a really special day and special event, and we can't wait to celebrate our 105th this next year. So let's talk about how we keep that that fire burning, and the key to me is communication. How do you communicate? How does Epsilon communicate? with their alumni to keep them to keep them engaged to get this growth that you're talking about of more folks who want to be part of the heartbeat versus just showing up intermittently well one step is making sure that you have a good alumni database and that you have valid contact information for your alumni and that includes recent alumni so making sure that you've captured their non-school email address before they leave campus so that they make sure that they're getting the alumni newsletter we call it the chimes it's sent out four times a year the undergraduates do an outstanding job of putting it together it's extremely professional includes a lot of pictures upcoming events and ways that alumni that can get involved whether it be an event or right now homecoming is real hot and heavy we do a we call it lawn display we build this giant almost float that you'd have in a parade right on our front lawn and they need money and resources to be able to do that and so that's where that's a place where they can put in a website to go to to be able to make you know donate some dollars because a lot of the alumni remember the first time they learned how to use a power tool was on the front lawn of the tea cows probably in an inappropriate way like (laughs) not using the right tool for the right right job but you know they have that they have those memories and so they're willing to give their treasure to to help others create new memories key piece that i heard in there was that that you have pictures yeah and i think that 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 is especially if you're going to turn around and ask people to open up their wallet seeing the visual and having that tie in their brain back to living that experience and those feelings that start to go through their body again so I think that it's vital that uh, folks engage and make sure that the collegiate members are engaging in taking pictures and sharing those memories. I will share this as well for our communications team. We love to get some of those pictures as well, share them on our social media pages, uh, and let folks see the great experiences that are going out there in Teak Nation. What other forms of communication does Epsilon Chapter have, if at all? with their alumni besides the newsletter? Are there people actively working to try to find some of those lost alumni and their contact information? You talked about ensuring you get their their email address, their new email address that isn't a school, I'm guessing it's a iowastate.edu mm-hmm. type email address. Is there a specific process that's built in to make that happen? A, a certain date we're gonna get everybody's email address by May 5th? Is there someone whose role it is, their job is specifically to do that? What is, can you talk very quickly about the process of that? Yeah, so right now in launching our Securing Epsilon Legacy campaign, we had gotten it down to, I believe, 10 members that we didn't have valid contact information That's amazing. For. So for us now, it's more about updating and maintaining. And so um, 
Roger's great about that. I mentioned already that he's you know our chapter historian. He typically knows what's what's going on with with people, uh, and our our historian works with myself. It's been in recent years and getting those non iastate.edu email addresses in time for their fraternity for life ritual, which we've adopted our own little spin on that ritual by purchasing their first year of their life loyalty membership. And so when I've worked with Chris Niles to make sure that their non iastate.edu email is is the one that is for the life loyalty program. And so then we put that in our database at that time as well. That's smart. You shared many great ideas of how Epsilon chapter engages alumni. Are there any final tips or ideas that you want to share with our listeners of how to engage alumni? I would just say make sure that you're embracing the alumni and the support that they want to provide and and making sure that they feel welcome at the table. I think undergraduates lose the perspective that you're going to spend the majority of your life as an alumni. So don't push back and, and keep yourselves insulated from them. And they've likely been through whatever you're experiencing, whether it's on a personal level or on a chapter level while they were an undergraduate or in their professional life. And so making sure that you embrace that group and and making sure that you're really leveraging the full power of your organization, I think is extremely critical. The one piece I would add is how can our collegiate members show more empathy? It's very easy as a collegiate member to think about how you want the alumni to engage with you. I think it is more challenging to think about how can I provide value to them? How can I meet them where they're at? It's a sales tactic one-on-one. How can I meet the customer where they're at? In this case, if I want more alumni to be engaged, if I want more alumni to want to turn around and donate to the chapter so that we can have more resources to do all the things we want to do, well, put yourself in their shoes. What is going to make them want to invest time? What is going to make them want to invest dollars? What's going to make them want to come around with their family and be proud to show off, yeah, I'm a teak. I'm I am I was part of this experience as a collegiate member and now I'm part of it as an as an adult, as an alumni member, and I'm proud enough that I'm gonna bring my family around this experience. Are you creating a chapter that folks want to bring their family around? So that that's a piece I appreciate you sharing that because I, I think they play together, right? They play together, the collegiate experience and the alumni experience. It doesn't magically all of a sudden alumni want to come out of the woodwork if the chapter's not doing a great job of not only engaging them and working to meet them where they're at, but also creating a product that they can be proud of and, and want to be around and want it to represent them day in and day out. Yeah. And you bring up a great point in family, right? Because I wouldn't be able to give as much time as I do if I didn't have a supportive wife and family that encourages me to continue to give back to the organization that I feel has given me so much. And so being able to take my wife, my parents have season football tickets with me. So is my sister and brother-in-law and being able to take all of them through the teak house and know that it's going to be a clean, safe environment for them to be able to visit. And I don't have to worry about them having dirty rooms or things hanging on the walls that I wouldn't be proud of. That's great. Let's, let's make one final shift. And we've talked about your collegiate experience. We've talked about how a group can look towards achieving excellence, how they can create sustained excellence, which you guys have done in spades, and now talked about the alumni experience. Let's talk about your experience at an international level. We talked a little bit about programs, but I want to talk about now becoming the grand Chrysophilus of Talk Cap Epsilon. You previously served as CAC chairman, as I said in your intro, as well as you were a grand council at large member for the past biennium. But now 
you're not only in a jeweled office, you're in, in one of the premier leadership roles, which is looking at the budget of the fraternity on an annual basis, working through the finance committee. A lot of work that I don't think the general member understands that you have now accepted, which is to make sure we are meeting, meeting our f- fiduciary responsibility and that we're continuing to drive and provide value. Can you talk about your grand council experience, both the briefly the experience you had at 19, 20 years old and the experience that you've now had at just a few years later, but not many? Yeah, so it was an extreme honor to be chosen as the CAC chairman, and especially the first CAC chairman that was given a vote on the on the Grand Council at, after the 09 conclave in New Orleans. That experience was immeasurable. It, it provided me a lot. I mean, I talked about Leadership Academy providing me a lot of confidence in how I interact with people. Having to sit across the table from a Bob Barr, as an example, and have a differing opinion of him and being able to firmly stand my ground and express my opinion and and my voice as the collegiate member that was in the room was that'll evolve your leadership yes, skills really really quickly, quickly. yes That's right. very very quickly and I didn't often win some of those uh, arguments but I made sure that my voice was heard and everyone was extremely receptive in the room and I think I think teak is unique in in providing that vote to our undergraduate members and I think it's a critical vote to have to make sure that we don't lose perspective you know, some of the grand councils that we've had in the past have been so far removed from the collegiate experience. And I think everyone can recognize that the fraternity system and the type of students that we go after is extremely different than what would, what they experienced 20, 30, 40 years ago for some people. And having that collegiate at the table was very important. And I was very proud to represent them at that time. Fast forward a couple years, I am an accountant by trade. I'm in the accounting and finance type role. I was asked to return on a grand council committee, the finance committee, as you mentioned, five years ago. That committee is responsible for approving the annual budget. And you talk about being good fiduciary stewards of the collegiate's money, and that's ultimately what we're doing, is finding the best way to utilize the dollars to not only protect us as an enterprise, but to grow the enterprise uh, to make sure that we're reaching as many people as we can. Why did you make the decision? Because you were on the finance committee as essentially a a general alumnus, right? Mm -hmm. Someone who is obviously extremely engaged with their chapter, but you made that decision to become part of the Grand Council again. Why did you make that decision? Yeah, I think I know that the fraternity system in itself is going to have a major comeback in the next decade. I believe that. I think we're well positioned. I think Teak is uniquely positioned to really be a leader in that comeback. And what I mean by that is the fraternity system has been under attack for a number of years. And we've been reactive to social media posts and shared group chats and and all these different things that belittles the positive impacts that fraternities have, not only on individuals, but on campuses and communities. And we talk about better men for a better world. And that's really what it's all about. And so I was given the opportunity to apply for an at-large position. And I took it because I wanted to have a seat at the table to ensure that that we were taking those next steps in going on what I'm going to call the offensive and, and making sure that we are unapologetically putting out there all the positive things that Teak does Love that. and making sure that we are growing the organization the right way. And I already talked about how I think Epsilon does that by recruiting the right type of man 
that doesn't put partying and trying to emulate what the media portrays as a frat member uh, and instead being a fraternity man that's focused on academics, service, philanthropy, all the pillars that we have in our teak guide that we know that teak men are. And um, so when that opportunity presented itself, there was no doubt that I wanted to be a part of it. Well, and the other aspect of that is living the mission, right? And to aid men in their mental, moral, and social development for life. That's that's what our goal is. That's our mission. And the fraternity is is lucky and blessed that you're now a part of helping to to drive that mission. When you look into the future, what's your vision? Every every grand council member. Uh, every chapter advisor I think that I spend time with has a different vision or thoughts and there's a lot of alignment, but what is your vision for what you see the future of Teak? You talked about mission and I'm so excited that our venerable Grand Preetness is very focused on returning to mission and making sure that it's the lens that we look through every decision that we make. And you talk about it being mental, moral, and social development for life. For me, Teak is going to be that catalyst for people that's going to continue to be important to provide that development for them. We interact with one another through screens the majority of the time that I find that fraternities are going to continue to develop the next leaders of, of the world, that the people that are able to interact with one another, that are going to be able to sit in a chapter room and argue for hours over the most minute things, but be able to you know win people over and and win elections and public speak and do all these things that you otherwise don't get the experience of if you just sit in your dorm room, play video games, go to class, maybe you're taking online classes, that fraternities in their current form are, are important, but they're going to need to continue to evolve. And I think Teak is positioning itself extremely well through our programs to help develop those next next level leaders. I love it. I tell you, the energy, the passion, the love that you have for the fraternity, and especially the direction of where we are going, which is how do we continue to create leaders? How do we continue to, to take every single person, even if you don't want to be the leader of the group, how can we get the most out of you? That's what that's what we've got a, a staff full of people, the Grand Council, volunteers, people who are fired up about how do we get the most out of every single person? How do we take and completely change the game. Too many folks in the fraternal world are comparing ourselves to the other fraternities. I'm not interested in that. I know you're, you're not either. Let's change the game in terms of how we operate and what we do and the type of people that we can produce, the type of chapters we can produce, and the type of leaders that we can produce. And so uh, I want to thank you as one of those amazing people that the fraternity has produced. You're someone, when I think about the mission of Teak, when I think about the values of Teak, someone who embodies it, someone who lives it and loves it. Uh, it has been a, a real joy to have you on the podcast. I can't wait to see people listen to this and hear their reactions and see what massive action they take as, as a response to this. So thank you for joining us this evening, Michael. It was an absolute honor to be here. Thank you, Donnie. I love talking about Teak.